We'll please this morning turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter four, 5, I mean, I'm sorry, 14, and we'll, uh, we'll be there in a minute. I apologize to you for last week standing up here like a dummy and, and trying to get my place again in my notes, but I found out I didn't write my notes with enough connection with the other ones or the next one or whatever. And so that's not to exclude my problem I'm telling you about because one of the symptoms is brain fog. And I don't know whether that's a symptom of being 80 or a symptom of having this particular problem I've got. But the problem is it doesn't come and stay like the old lady said about the Bible, she liked the part where it said it come to pass. It didn't say it come to stay. So it pops in and pops out. And I just told Judy, I said, I got my sermon. I'm going down there this morning, but I'm carrying my phone with me in case I can call you in case I can't get through it. But please bear with me. I've got, a, I think, a point to make, and that's what God gave me, and uh, I believe I can do it. Christians never hear sermons about sinful habits. They don't pray about it. I preach about it. And how to deal with them. We've been talking about when we got through the, the conscience and the praying about our conscience, listening to our conscience, we found out that, that when there were only two of us on the earth, God gave Adam and Eve a conscience. When they sinned and disobeyed God, they went and hid. So I knew then, I've been told by people they didn't have a conscience. But I believe that everybody has one. It's just left to be determined just what kind of conscience it is and how it leads us. Theology books don't deal with this problem. And I think we've seen in the last couple of three weeks that this thing about doing things by habit saves us a lot of time. If you took this power to make habits out of our character, it would make for some long troubled days and some messed up folks. But most of us by this time know how to brush our teeth and take a bath and drive to work without having to stop and think about it. And that's a good thing. Because you see, that's one of the things that God gives us to get habits that are godly rather than sinful. So many of the things we do, just like getting up and coming to church on Sunday morning, are not things we have to think about. I see a couple of fans going, does anybody need to air up a little bit? You need it cooler? I'll be glad to do it. Okay. All right. Just holler. If your conscience, think for this a minute now, because we've had to do some deep thinking the last few weeks. If your conscience doesn't oppose your actions, then out of habit, you will have sin in your life. And I'll show you why in just a minute. 
But suppose for a moment the power to have habits was taken away and you had to stop and figure out everything you did. That wouldn't work. It would slow down your brain and your day. So let's look at another Bible problem. And we dealt with it last week. And we'll go back to the same scripture in the, the 14th chapter of Numbers. Verse 18. The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Now, there's several aspects coming out of this biblical truth Last week we took the one that winds up in, uh, in, uh, in, in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5. That God says that again over there, but he says, In that one of them that hate me. So God does not automatically carry the sins of the fathers on to their offspring to the fourth generation. Only those who hate him get dealt with that penalty. But now, let me show you something and how this thing works too. And we fi I figured this out from several years ago because I was, I was studying on it every day. But, you know, when we were talking about conscience, we said that everybody's got a conscience, but we said, who makes your conscience? Well, we made it plain that when the Holy Spirit gets inside, then the Holy Spirit starts cleaning up your conscience so you will have a godly conscience rather than a sinful conscience. But now here's something else. And I said also at the time that we as believers were in the clear. But the people we are dealing with, those unbelievers out there, don't have that the sins of their fathers, they're still pursuing and actively doing them. And when they come to a point of believing in Jesus Christ, then all of a sudden they have the Holy Spirit to guide them. They have the Holy Spirit to interpret Scripture for them. They have the Holy Spirit to bring to their mind everything that God's ever said at a time when they need it. And so they're in the process of being cleaned up themselves, not only their conscience, but the rest of them too. They quit being a fleshly person and start being a spiritual person. But then we ask the question, but those who don't have Jesus, who makes their conscience? Whoever happens to be the mentors in their life, their parents, or maybe an uncle, or maybe they got shifted off to grandma's house. I've seen that happen a great deal, folks, thinking about this scripture right here. Because those sinners who God is penalizing them with the sins of their fathers, I've seen them pulled out of their father's house. Sometimes it's a pretty rough trip. 
and put in somebody else's care and somebody else's teaching and somebody else's conscience that is a Christian conscience and then they don't have to deal with as many wrongs as they dealt before because they've got something now that's giving them advice that at least has a Christian conscience. And I've seen that happen. I've, we, my wife and I have sat and talked about somebody that's in a, in a, in a house that's awful. And their, their children are bound to come along just like them. It happens all the time. You know that. You've seen it. It runs in families. And I have seen God bring some sort of disaster that where those kids don't have to be under that influence anymore. So let's look at another Bible problem. And that's it. God keeps those things from going from generation to generation if they're believers. And in some cases I've seen he put them in a place where they could be believers because they were believers building their conscience for them. We remember what we talked about and that was the answer for that day, for this situation right here. But now I'll deal with another answer for that same problem. I don't know if you remember it or not. Maybe you've never had this thought to help you put all these Bible facts together. But you know, you know Abraham sinned. He told everybody his wife was his sister. Even to the extent that two kings came and take, took Sarah out of Abraham's house and put them in their harems. And when they found out what they would did, all their women in their harem quit having children. So it takes a pretty long time to discover it by that method. So these women, Sarah, lived in the house of an unbeliever with his harem for sometimes at great length and never made a sound, never said a thing because her husband had dictated that she do that. Then Isaac, see, he came along and Jacob came along lying too. All three of them were liars in our Bible because Abraham lied, Isaac lied, because Isaac lied, Jacob's the one that put the animal fur on his arm to get his blessing from his father and he lied about that he was his older brother. So we can see how it runs that course that he's talking about. About the influence of those that are ahead of you. Think about it. The liar lies so God puts lying on the child. And you see how that happens. It can't happen to Christians, but it does happen to unbelievers every day. And in some cases I have seen that when the parents were in error, their children believed those same errors. And so to some extent, we have always have a responsibility 
to make sure that our children don't get a hold of bad information from preachers or movies or these cell phones that they can't live without. All kind of stuff is on those things. And we have to watch that it doesn't get away from us. We're told as Christians by Jesus that we need to save the sinners. But when one of those sinners gets saved, think about this for a minute. It kind of puts together everything we've been talking about for a month. When a sinner gets saved, he brings habitual sin with him into the church. You see that? Because it's by habit. We, when we studied habit, we saw that it's things that people believe in so much that they don't even think about it. They just do it without thinking. And a lot of new Christians still keep their old ways to a certain extent because they don't fully understand how to build new habits. We saw that in Ephesians chapter 4 when it talked about not only put away, lie, put away stealing, but when we do away with a bad habit and take up a good habit, it's more than just saying to ourselves, I'm not going to do that bad thing anymore because it still keeps popping up. Every time you're put under temptation from Satan, it pops back up until you get a new habit and replace the old habit with a godly habit. And the way to do habits, you know that, is to do them over and over and over and over until you quit thinking about them. So you can't just say, I'm going to get rid of that habit. What God taught us and what I showed you was that he gives us new habits that we have to let take over the old habit. Because if it doesn't, every time he is tempted by Satan, he falls right back into his old habit. And we've seen that with new Christians, and sometimes we're not so new Christians. We realize how you do that. Let's see the liar. Suppose the sin is a liar. You are a habitual liar. You've always been a liar. You got saved. You bring lying into the church with you. You have to understand for a while that sin and how the Holy Spirit works on you and tells you that lying is sin. So you quit doing the big lies folks can catch you at and you start doing the little white lie. And somebody says, well, I only tell, I've had Christians tell me, I only tell half lies. But you see, a half lie, the other half of it is a, is a lie. Half of it's truth, half of it's lie. That's the way they compromise on this issue that they have as a habit. So what's the first thing you do? When you realize that he lies, you repent to God, the first thing. I do it public in front of the person I just lied to. Then you re 
repent and ask forgiveness to the one who heard your lie. And in the course of doing that out loud, you make at least one person aware that you're trying not to lie anymore, right? I mean, because most of this is a, is a testimony and a reputation among the people. If you never told anybody a lie, then you could be a liar and you'd never be found out. <laughs> so you see what this does is it makes that one or two persons, how many ever you ask to please forgive you that I lied to you, I didn't mean to, I'm doing all I can to quit it, God has convinced me that what I'm saying is wrong, it's a sin, and I'm trying to get rid of it. That's one person. Don't you think from, for a habitual liar that a community has dealt with for years that he won't go and tell somebody, guess what I heard old Joe say? And he's going to tell him what he said. He said, well, do you think he's going to lie anymore? Well, I don't know, but i tell you this. I'm convinced he's trying awful hard not to. ask forgiveness for, to the hearer every time. We've got ways of wedging things out of her. You know, when God convicts us about something, we got 1,400 excuses. And that one I've heard till I'm, it bothers me. Well, you know, everybody sins. Yes, they do, but you don't have to, and God says you're not supposed to. People realize what you're doing and start you a new testimony, a new reputation. But they need to see you with sins that you know you have. God has already revealed them to you, and you're making some kind of effort to stop that. The public has got to know what kind of effort you're making because the only way your reputation will change from a liar to a truth teller is to quit lying, start telling the truth, and make sure everybody that, 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 that knows you knows that that's what you're trying to do. And all of a sudden, you're not the liar in the community anymore. You're a Christian just like everybody else. And you sin, and you're trying to get away from it as hard as you can. And that should be the full-time job of every believer in this church this morning. People will recognize what you're doing and start you a new testimony, but they need to see you making that effort. Now, if you will, please, I want to show you something else that you need to do to overcome old sinful habits. In Romans chapter 12, if you will turn there. Chapter 12 of Romans and verse 1 and 2. Well, 3, we're going to throw it in there too. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, chapter 12 of Romans, verse 1, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. That means set apart. You have set yourself apart because you know you now belong to God. 
holy, acceptable unto God, which Paul says is your reasonable service. That's not asking too much of a believer. And to see what God has done for all of us through his son Jesus Christ, what Jesus did for all of us, he says, that's not too much to ask. In other words, sacrifice yourself for God. What your plans were, what your ideas are, what, what, what your beliefs are and whatever. Sacrifice yourself to God and be not conformed and that word, be not, the tense that it carries is stop being. So what it actually says is, and stop being conformed to this world. It means you're doing it already. He knows you are. Everybody is. The world is eating at us every day, trying to pull us away from Jesus. And be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You stand for God's word. And you change your mind or renew your mind every day to think more like Jesus. That good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And you got to do it every day. You got to do it every day. You can't have a day off. Every day you try to change your mind and get it closer to where Jesus is. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. We have a tendency in our natural state to brag on ourselves and to think that we're a little bit more than what God sees us as. And Paul, like every read, writer in the New Testament, made a point at one time or another that he was dust. God said in Psalm, he remembered we were dust. And he has mercy on us because he remembered who we really are. And so therefore he's careful not to put expectancies on us that we can't handle. And it says here, to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. We've all got a different measure of faith. Probably we've got a faith, it seems reasonable to me, that we've got enough faith to get us to do what our spiritual gift is. And whatever we have to, everybody's got things that are put up in front of us to slow us down. The world does that. Satan does that. The world belongs to the Satan. He's never been in hell. Or I say he has. He's never even recorded things he was in hell. That when he fell out of heaven, he fell to earth, folks. He didn't fall to hell. Hell was built for the angels that fell. 
and God just decided that he'd put him in it when it was time to, to bind him up. And he'd put us in it if we failed to believe in Jesus Christ. So it's a kind of a catch-all place. Unless you're a Christian, you will know what that place is like. And I firmly believe in my heart that every unbeliever knows everything that has been said to him about believing in Jesus. I believe he knows all those answers. He knows their truth now. Because Lazarus, you know, when he went to the bosom of Abraham, the old rich man knew everything. He didn't have a Bible teacher in hell, but he knew everything that was going on. And he asked, asked him to send Lazarus to keep his brothers from coming to that place. So I honestly do, for that reason, I believe that when within five, six seconds after we're, we die, as a sinner, as an unbeliever, that we'll know everything, every truth that's been told to us that we refuse to believe before. And we'll know what's going on. That today is the point that I'm trying to get across. I hope that you understood it well enough to know what I'm trying to what God is trying to say to us. It speaks to me just as well as it speaks to you. I'm no different than you when I get down out of your pulpit. And I try just as hard to try to live up to these things as you do. But that God only brings the sins of the Father to his descendants if all of them are unsaved and they get reborn, they get born again, they get saved, he won't, he won't move it then. But then too, that we need to know that that's happening in the life of those that we attempt to convert. And I've seen some men converted in the 65 or 70 that never quit cussing. They never did. They never did. It was too much of a habit. And I don't think probably people were teaching, us, teaching them how important it is to clean your own self up for God. So they'll have some rough edges, I think people call them. And it's our job also not only to tell them about Jesus and salvation, it's also to tell them that there is a period that comes after that called sanctification. That's not free. Salvation is free. Sanctification is not free. For cleaning your life up for Jesus Christ, you receive rewards. Now, the only thing about that is when you get to heaven, you're going to dump them at your Savior's feet. You don't get to keep them up there. Every one of them is dumped at Jesus' foot of his throne. And then your status in heaven will be built 
by how many how many crowns you have you have to lay at Jesus' feet. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for this lesson. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for being open with us and telling us just how it goes. And we find that there is another punishment for not believing in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for this lesson. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.